0: Welcome along to the very latest episode of NASBIT's Thames podcast. My name is James Coleman, and as always, we'll be speaking with a guest who helps us to examine the vital role teacher educators and mentors play in the world of initial teacher training. This week, we're joined by one of the key figureheads within our sector, Sam Twistleton. We cover a range of topics from the development of the core content framework, the impact COVID restrictions have had on training providers, and analyse what's changed in teacher training over the past few years. That and much, much more packed in as we welcome you to the latest instalment of the Thames podcast. Okay, I'm delighted to say I'm with Sam Twistleton, Director of Sheffield Institute of Education. Now, good morning, Sam. How are you?
1: Hello. Nice, nice to be here. I'm Great, thank, thank you. you.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to come and chat with us. Uh, how's the how's well? Not the start of term anymore. We're kind of we're into the second half term. How's the the start of this year gone for you guys?
1: Well, I mean, I'm compared to people in school and particularly school leaders, I'm incredibly lucky. Really, um, I would say it's kind of a bit boring and a bit samey for me, but nothing like the kind of moment by moment you know <laughs> life risking decisions that people yeah. are having to make so for me it's it, it, it's fine it's yeah. uh, just to be got through i think
0: zoom fatigue doesn't seem quite so bad compared to the the, yeah. the stuff people are having to do in schools at the moment is it
1: exactly exactly
0: uh well thanks again for 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 being on the on the call um we just wanted to kind of sit down have a chat with you today you've obviously had a a really important part to play in in the core content framework which is um you know supporting and structuring so many of our trainees and teacher educators years and so I have a, a quick chat about that but but also just talk to you about the role of mentors and teacher educators more generally um what sort of influence they have on our trainee teachers and really the teaching profession more widely um does that sound all all right
1: Sounds brilliant. One of my favourite topics because uh, it's such an important role. So yeah, yeah happy absolutely. To have
0: that brilliant. it will be lovely to try and shine a light on uh, on some of the wonderful work that not only within you know Sheffield Hallam but also some of the other stuff that you've come across uh, that mentors mentors are doing. Uh, the guys that uh, we've got people, you know, a range of people will listen to the podcast from program leads to uh, trainees, mentors, uh, people who maybe aren't involved in ITT at all but are interested in getting involved. A lot of the people who are very involved in ITT will be very familiar with your contribution to it. Uh, but for those listening who maybe aren't aware of some of the things that you've achieved or, or how you contribute to initial teacher training, can you give us a quick overview of some of the work you do, kind of beyond Sheffield Hallam, within Sheffield Hallam?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Sheffield Hallam itself is. Um... It's, it's a huge university in Sheffield and a and, and large part of what it does is, is train lots of teachers. So we train all different routes, undergraduate, postgraduate. We skit partners for lots of really good skits uh, and we're also a partner for Teach First. So, so seeped in, in teacher training at, uh, at Sheffield Hallam. But, but be, beyond that, um, I've had quite a lot to do nationally with teacher training. I suppose The the first big thing was when I was involved in the Carter review of teacher training, um, which was announced back in 2014, published in 2015. And I think actually sort of echoes forward a lot to the work that that I'm involved in now, in terms of what we found through that review, which was a lot of really good practice, um, but also some inconsistencies. Um, But but one of the biggest messages was the importance of mentors. Um, and they are often the make or break thing in terms of trainees and actually NQTs as well. Um, You know, we all have moments when we think, oh, have I done the right thing? Am I doing the right job? Um, Is it, you know, am I up to it? Uh, and, And often a really good mentor is the person that can really take you, get you out of that hole. Um, a poor mentor can actually push you into it. Um, so that, that came through very strongly in the Carter review of initial teacher training, which then kind of links up with um, what I subsequently, subsequently went on to do when I was um, on the advisory group for, well, still am on the advisory group of the DfE's teacher recruitment and retention strategy, which led to the early career framework, which led to the core content framework. So they all actually sort of join up um, and actually I think tell quite a good policy story, in terms of how the government is have, has become much more aware of the importance of really looking after new teachers, right from you know being a trainee through to you know f- f- uh, two years into ha- having qualified um, and um, and, the, and the mentor role continues to be absolutely central at every step of that journey so um, I feel like we're in quite a good place in terms of some of the policy developments that I've been involved in. I can't claim credit for them, but I'm very pleased to have been around as they've been unfolding.
0: So thinking about the, the Carter Review, which they like said was kind of six or seven years ago now. How far do you think ITT has come since then? What, what are the big shifts? What are the big changes that you think have, have made a real difference since the Carter Review?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of things. Um, when the Carter Review was first happening, it was in the early days of the uh, sort of rapid expansion of school led. Obviously, school led had been around for a while, um, but, but that, that administration was really encouraging it. So we were visiting a lot of very new skits that were just kind of finding their feet. And, you know, it was an exciting time, but, but you know, there was some naivety and some definitely a lot of learning to, to, to be had at that point. Whereas now, you know, I mentioned that we partner several skits and um, out and about in the role, in, in my sort of national role, um, I get to, to meet many more. And I think they've, they've reached a level of maturity and a level of understanding. Uh, you know uh, about the complexity of what's involved in initial teacher training, but also some of the opportunities that you get from being school-led. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible to do it in a university, because we saw some, some good examples of where it happened. But but that school-based element, you know, which is after all two thirds of the time for a postgraduate um, uh, teacher training route, um, that school-based element is so important. Um, so powerful and the mentoring role as I have said so, so so central in that um, often school-led providers are able to be a bit more deeply connected and a bit more in control of the variables in that space um, so I've seen some absolutely fantastic practice you know in, in, in recent days where as I say that maturity has led to just some really good examples of uh, that, that very deep partnership working which I think provides a really good start a really good basis for um trainee teachers and then particularly if they then are employed you know in the same collection of schools and that support then kind of almost seamlessly continues into their early career phase um, i think that's uh, you know that's one of the things that has really struck me um about kind of unfolding practice and i think that's what the um the early career framework really is what it's trying to do is replicate what's been there as a sort of local thing for lots of people but not there as an entitlement for everybody from next year becomes an entitlement for everybody and it's building on that very good practice which as I say I think school-led initial teacher training has to some extent led the way with so you know it's it's really good to see.
0: You you kind of stole the words out of my mouth in terms of the, the early career framework and that mirroring that process of training somewhere maybe within a uh, an academy or within a local authority and then that continuing <laughs> when you're employed then within that same environment and it, it's clear that the core content and then the ECF kind of feed into that model in trying to have continuity for trainees. How how important is that? Obviously, you know, lots of trainees may go abroad or move into a different part of the country or or into a different matter, into a different local authority, Mm -hmm. but how valuable can it be to have that continuity? And actually as the early career framework sets out that entitlement to that time to develop, you know, we all know that it takes longer than a year, much longer than a year to go and be the brilliant teacher that you want to go and be.
1: Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, it, it's that it's that kind of consistency. It's that feed through from the initial phase into that early career phase. Um, so you don't feel like you're starting again. You're building on what you knew already. Um, and that therefore, you're really hopefully certainly by the end of your second year, you know, when the early career framework comes to an end, you're beginning to fly because you've had that experience of that sort of spiral curriculum where it all kind of links up. Uh, And as you say, you know, you may train in one part of the country and get a job in another part of the country or even, you know, in in a different country. And I think the early career framework is actually likely to be being picked up by um, international schools as well. Um, And and that's why um, we've very deliberately made both the early career framework and the core content framework be as as similar as possible. So um, the knowledge statements are actually identical because what you need to know to be a good teacher doesn't change just because you're a trainee or or you're a newly qualified teacher. Um, The bit that's different is um, that the how you experience that knowledge, which for a trainee is absolutely you know, a lot of it through the support of a good mentor or other expert colleagues who are supporting your learning. So we've kept it as, as as two frameworks which join up very, very closely, but they are very deliberately frameworks. They're not a full curricula, so yes. they don't describe absolutely everything, particularly in the ITT phase that you would expect a new teacher to need to experience because you know, we do know that different localities are different, different schools have different needs, different trainees have different needs, and so it's really important I think that providers still have the um, the need, the ability to to turn that sort of fairly, fairly bare framework into a rich curriculum with careful sequencing of, of knowledge and activities etc, which is therefore then able to sort of reflect the, the local needs and also the expertise that's available. Um, So I I feel like what what we try to do is get a balance of um, enough consistency and enough sort of meat on the bones in in terms of what's there for everybody at a national level through the two frameworks, Uh, but then also enough ability for people to be able to sort of really flesh out that that framework into a sort of full blown curriculum, both in the um, ITT space and in the early career framework. Um, that you, you can therefore kind of really adapt to local needs that, that's certainly the intention
0: and for providers and, and leaders of programs they'll be very familiar with the ccf um well we'd hope they'd be very familiar with the ccf by now and, and implementing that into exactly as you say creating their own curriculums or adapting the current curriculum that they have to ensure that they're um acknowledging the the Core content framework. For the trainees, teacher educators, mentors who are working within those programs, it will exist around them without them necessarily being aware of it being there. Um, the people who are involved in implementing that will be very aware of it, but the people actually experiencing it may not be because, as you say, it's the curriculum that will be driving them and that they'll be very aware of. So, can you give us a, a quick overview of, of what the CCF is? I, you've done a brilliant job of kind of detailing it, but in real simple terms, What is the core content framework? And and, and I know you weren't as involved in the ECF, but just an overview of that for our teacher educators, mentors, trainees that are listening who have maybe for the first 10 minutes been thinking, well, what is the core content or what is the early career framework? Can you give a really simple overview of of what those two documents are?
1: (laughs) What a challenge. (laughs) I'll try, I'll do my best. That's why Um, we've got
0: you on, Sam.
1: (laughs) So, the the way that both frameworks are organized, as I've said, is similar. So, they're, they're actually both organized into eight different areas. Um, and each of those areas is kind of blocked out into two columns um, the areas themselves, I can't list them all, I'm afraid. But they no, uh, to. kind of common sense things. There's something on special needs. There's something on the curriculum. There's something on how children learn and so on. So there's nothing there that you wouldn't expect to see in terms of you know broad areas that 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 you need to know about if you're going to be a confident and competent teacher. Then within each of those areas, as I say, there's these know that and know how columns. The know that column is identical between both frameworks the know-how this is probably the bit that's most useful for mentors if they haven't looked at it it probably is worth having a look although their providers will have already adapted the kind of mentor training and, and the other advice that they're giving mentors to reflect it so it's yeah. not absolutely essential but but what we try to do in that right hand column is be a lot more specific than than other sort of versions of of uh, of attempts to kind of give national guidance for IGT have done. So we've given some, you know, I think carely, fairly carefully thought through examples of the kinds of conversations, the kind of observations, the kinds of activities that trainees should uh, should be receiving and, uh, and where there's a role for a mentor or somebody else in school. So sometimes it might be that they're asking the mentor to facilitate a conversation with somebody else head a department, for example, or the SENCO or somebody like that. Um, We've just tried to to be a bit more pinned down in terms of the kinds of conversations, the kinds of questions, the kinds of deconstruction sort of analysis kind of activities um, that should happen. So I don't think it should be adding to the mental role in terms of asking them to do more. I think it's maybe just defining it a little bit more and and it's really building on what we know really good mentors do anyway so hopefully for many people it won't feel like a big difference it might just be hopefully reassuring and um, that we're kind of validating what, what they were doing already anyway um,
0: yeah I, I think that word reassuring about you know exactly as you're saying seeing that and going oh do you know what actually i'm ticking a lot of those boxes yeah. already
1: Exactly, and that, that's what we're tending to find as we're going around, sort of talking to people about it. That's mostly what people. But occasionally, there might be some terminology that says they're slightly different or something like that. But but once you unpack that, um, most people just actually recognise it as 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 what they're doing already, and, and just giving them that sort of validation that actually they were already doing this this well. Um, it's
0: the last one on the on the CCF and in the ECF stuff. Uh, from from what you've seen when you've got, you know been part of this putting this up and and seeing how providers have interpreted the core content framework. Anything that stands out to you is when you've seen it work well, something that each provider has done, is there a common theme or a common thread when people have implemented this really well that the provider has done? Is there something that, that makes them stand out in terms of using this most effectively? I'm just thinking about programme leads who are listening to yeah. this, thinking, how can I really make sure that I use this? Is there anything that you've seen that you think, yeah, do you know what, actually, that's just, that just seems to work when when providers have done that with the CCF?
1: Yeah, so um, I mean, I think again, this is sort of reflecting what probably good program leads would be doing anyway, but just uh, helping them to see it through yeah. uh, the, the lens of the core content framework. Where, where it works really well is where it's completely recognised what I've said already that it's not a curriculum, you know, it doesn't tell you what to do when <laughs> and how yeah. often. Yeah. Um, so so that, that's, that's the job of work for the program leads. And, and as you've said, it might well just be looking at what they do already, it might be that they're not actually having to do anything at all from scratch, but just thinking really carefully about how you sequence the activities the activities in the training the activities that happen in school the mentoring conversations etc so that you've got that sense of a journey um, through through the core content framework where where it's actually often quite a spiral you know so there'll be some things that you need to keep coming back to you know we know for example behavior you need a lot on behavior to begin with um but then you know as you get more experience and you're able to sort of compare and contrast different experiences, uh, you come to a more sophisticated understanding of children's behaviour. So you do need to return to it in a more sophisticated way, for example. So, so um, the really good programme leads have really thought about that spiralling of you know what, what do we need right at the beginning and, and, and maybe in a fairly basic form, Uh, But then, you know, at what point do we most usefully come back to it? How does it link to what we're asking our mentors to do, etc. And then I think the other thing, as I said, recognising it is just a framework and there will be other things that you want to include. So, for example, as somebody with a primary background, I would put a lot of emphasis on child development, which isn't, it's kind of implicit in the framework, but it's not explicit. And, you know, I would want to make sure there's a really good chunk in my programme about that, probably linked to some of the things that are in the framework. Uh, that would be sort of an example of, you know, where, where you recognise it, it's it's not telling you absolutely everything that you need to do. You need to really think about what are the bits that are missing. Um, and then um, and, and again, I think school school led is in a good position to do this. There's that sort of tying up between what happens in the central training and what happens when trainees are out in school and really thinking hard about that so you don't just shove them off into school and sort of see what happens (laughs) you actually sort of craft the experiences that happen in school in a way that they're able to make those connections as strongly as they possibly can um, to what they've been hearing the, in the training element,
0: And I think that flexibility is key isn't it because when you think about local contexts and what drives yeah. one school in one area and what drives another school in another Absolutely. area it is really important and 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 as a provider you want to value those things and make sure that you're preparing your trainee teachers to teach in those environments as effectively as possible whilst recognising that there's a whole suite of stuff that they're going to need to know alongside that too. Exactly. Um, so moving away slightly from that and and broadening out a little bit and thinking about mentors and teacher educators up and down the country that are are doing I mean they every single year do an incredible job but in these circumstances even more so than usual what do you see and again this is not an easy one to answer Sam so I apologize but what do you see the role of a mentor or a teacher educator being within an ITT context
1: yeah, I mean, that is a good question, but also a hard question. That I don't think there's one straightforward answer to. Um, if you read the introduction of the core content framework, we we, we labor at some length uh, this, this term expert colleagues. Yeah. Because actually a single person often can't really fulfill the breadth of sort of mentoring and support that a trainee might really need. So actually what we're encouraging, and again, this is building on best practice that we've seen um, working really well, um, is you'll have a sort of named mentor who has the responsibility, hopefully the time and the recognition, but then that person will not necessarily be the person who solely supports that trainee. Mm -hmm. Um, They will be the facilitator of access to other forms of support. And it's quite important that some of those other forms of support are not in a position of making any judgments. Any yeah. formal judgments that you know, one of the problems that we can have with the system is this thing that, um, and Professor Andy Helpson and calls judgmentering. You know, mm-hmm. you can sometimes have a conflict between the person who needs to be the shoulder to cry on and, and uh, you know, be be a source of supreme emotional support, is sometimes also the person who is having to make some kind of summative judgment about the the trainee so to be sure that they have other people that they can go to but then as i said there will also be specialist areas like senko for as i said earlier um so it's quite a complex role because because you are having to think it's almost like you're orchestrating um the the support from all these different sources why why is it so important that we have really good people doing it and that it's recognized for what it is complex role quite demanding but also very very fulfilling and actually very good for personal development as well as you know supporting the system because actually having to think so hard about expertise having to think about how to support trainees having to think about really good practice helps you to develop your own practice as well so it's actually a really good tool for school improvement you know in in a way that goes beyond just supporting the trainee
0: I think that 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 multiple hats that you have to wear is is one of the most challenging roles. Certainly, yeah. when I've mentored or or, or, or supported anyone, being a, a different type of person for different type of situations exactly. and, and having to maintain yeah. a relationship, yeah, alongside that is very challenging. And I think you're right in that, even if even if that structure isn't maybe in place in school yet, you as a mentor or a teacher educator have the control or the power to be able to say to someone to actually maybe speak to so and so down the corridor around yeah. this because I think they're going to be really supportive in this element or whatever it might be to one take the burden off you but two also it may well be that that person is going to be able to give them better support than you can in that area because it's something maybe they're better they're, they feel more confident in
1: yeah absolutely and sometimes it's quite good to have somebody who's got a little bit more distance as well
0: yeah uh, you know it can be quite
1: yeah. an intense relationship so yeah I think broadening out um source of support is really quite important for a number of reasons
0: can you kind of identify anyone in your career that you think whether whether it was formal or informal someone who who mentored you uh through either a a period of of change or challenge or a period of great success but someone who you could recall now that you think um whether you were both aware of it or not mentored you during your your career
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a few actually. Um, I suppose the person who really stands out and this isn't in the school context, but I still think there are some sort of some relevance to to, to a school based mentor. Yeah. And that's when I very first came into higher education um, way back God, in the 1990s. I think it was. <laughs> and I came in um, as a part-time um researcher i had been a teacher i just had children and needed to start working part-time working part-time in school didn't feel particularly attractive at that that time and there was a part-time job as a as a researcher came up in my sort of what was then my local teacher training college and the person who was my line manager who ended also up being my phd supervisor uh, it was just wonderful and this, this woman who you know she understood about that uh, she'd had children herself so she understood how hard it can be juggling it's sort of complicated domestic arrangements with um trying to do a job she was incredibly flexible in how she allowed me to do that job she, she helped me to sort of think about the bigger picture of what i was trying to achieve what i was, uh, what I was doing was researching the the very early days of teaching assistant and the impact that they had in the classroom Um, and uh, I I look back on her you know she was I think she helped perform helped me to form my professional slash academic identity in ways as you say I wasn't particularly even aware of you're just too busy living a life aren't you at the time it's only when you sort of look back on it and you realize oh yeah I don't think I'd be the person I am today if I hadn't had that kind of gentle support sometimes challenge um, but you know supreme understanding I think what, what really struck me was how well she understood the world I was living in at that time yeah. and you know h- how to sort of navigate my way through it she was she's an amazing person
0: yeah, and it, it it strikes me when I think about people who in a very similar context think yeah you know they really supported me either professionally personally mentored me in one way or another through something challenging very often it, it comes back down to the personal skills or their awareness of me as a person
1: really does and yeah. how
0: much that made a difference don't get me wrong they did lots of things as well that were very supportive in terms of developing me as a professional or developing my practice but ultimately it often boiled down to someone who understood either my current circumstance or the type of person I was and really tapped into that at that time
1: absolutely yeah that is so important and you know it, and it's not always straightforward and easy to get right you know sometimes it can just be personality clash and it's not that there's any fault in either individual but sometimes you just can't quite find that sort of empathetic bond early on and and, and, you know because it is quite fraught um being in school as a trainee you know it doesn't take that much to sort of tip it over into something that can become a bit more negative and that's Mm -hmm. why again why it's good to have a broader network of support around you so that it's not just Necessarily completely dependent on that one relationship because that can, like I said, that can be such a make or break thing. Um, so to, 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 yeah, first of all, you do need to have those skills. Absolutely. Uh, but then you also need to be aware that, it, you know, the chemistry just is, doesn't always work um, for every single relationship.
0: And and that's where the provider can play such a big role as well in recognising those relationships. If there is an issue, identifying that, trying to fix it. If there isn't a fix, then also recognising yeah. that and, and adapting whatever whatever support is in place. Um I, I think that Absolutely. that's crucial from a provider's perspective to not just assume it's always going to work exactly how you want it to.
1: Yeah, I would say that's probably one you know, one of the really important roles a provider can play it's quite stressful i know for providers <laughs> but you you also see the benefit you know if you can if you do intervene and, and, and you can make such a difference um it's it's worth all that stress and that effort and
0: uh, we're, we're talking we started off prior to doing the podcast talking about how we'd had a positive day yesterday in relation to the pandemic and and potentially this this uh, Vaccine, perhaps being uh, down the road at some point, which was wonderful news to hear and something positive for the first time in a long time. But we are living in, you know, incredibly difficult times, not just professionally but personally too. Uh, How have you seen mentors kind of contributing to ITT and to the trainees that are currently involved, you know, at at such a difficult time to be training to be a teacher? How have you seen mentors and teacher educators kind of step up to the plate and, and support that process?
1: Well, I, I, just in a phenomenal way, to be honest. I think you know, linking back to the, the previous discussion about those sort of interpersonal skills and that sort of empathy, because because it tends to be people who ha, who are strong in that area, who who are mentors and who are teacher educators. Uh, I think they've been able to just step up to the challenges, which have been really considerable <laughs> yeah. uh, in such a crucial way, both for trainees and for NQTs. I've seen this uh, because, you know, we're all dealing with such <laughs> such a lot of newness and yeah. it's not even, um, you know, consistent, reliable newness. It, it changes from way, one day to another. Uh, and I know one of the things that mentors are uh, sort of worried about is um, they're having to support trainees uh, into a world in school that isn't normal. And, you know, so you know, the way that we're having to teach children, the way we're having to behave in school isn't what it would normally be like and probably isn't, we hope, what it will be like in a year's time. And so they're almost having to live kind of parallel lives, really, um, h- helping them to sort of deal with the here and now, but also kind of inducting them into what will hopefully be the case um, when things do, do go back to normal. Though I do think there will be some things that, that actually stay. Per yeah, so so good
0: I, I I wanted to touch on that actually within your role as director at Sheffield Hallam and and obviously you guys do so much within ICT and and teacher training. What what do you think you know has fundamentally changed? What what do you think will be different? You know what have you seen that actually through this opportunities of you know i know that working remotely not just within itt and, and teaching perhaps is now something that's far more viable and and i think heads and schools are far more open to that idea of flexible working and i think that will move that agenda forward a lot quicker what other areas or, or what do you see as being fundamentally impacted and changed by this covid pandemic
1: yeah i mean i think um you know there's some very sort of practical operational things um how, how able you are to support and observe trainees without actually setting foot in the school we, we know we've kind of surprised ourselves that you can actually do that quite effectively yep. and actually you're stripping back you know some of the noise and certainly some of the time yeah. <laughs> that it would have taken if we were sort of you know scurrying around the country you know spending a day in a car for a for a one hour in a school sort of thing yeah uh, you know we've surprised ourselves at how effective you can be and i think that links in the next point really because it what it makes you have do if you're having to do things so so drastically differently is strict back to what are the fundamentals of what you're trying to achieve here yeah. and that's really useful process in itself um, and I think we've done that with our courses as well so we've had to really think hard you know there are some things like you know primary PE would be an example you know there's some things you just have to be together in a room to do yeah uh, but actually there's quite a lot that actually can be done quite effectively sometimes more effectively at a distance Uh, and and then you have to think carefully about you know so what how do we reflect how do we interact and 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 and, and, again as i say it's back to first principles which i think is always useful and then i think there's some things that i've seen happen in school which there are sort of elements of in 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 how it's kind of bled into teacher training and particularly in secondary school we've seen a lot of teachers talking about how they're spending more time with fewer pupils now because of, you know, the bubbles and social distancing and things maybe, maybe teaching across subjects a bit more, um, certainly spending, you know, more, um, social time with, with pupils as well as, um, uh, sort of formal learning almost time. a little bit
0: more of a primary setup not exactly not exactly reflecting exactly. that but, but far more towards that way
1: yeah certainly getting some of the benefits of knowing of, of yeah. them better as individuals and um, and in particular if you're teaching them across more than one subject yeah. you know you you see how how learners are different in different subjects but you're also able to make connections across the curriculum as well and I, th- I think there have been elements of that certainly in our primary uh, initial teacher training because uh, ironically in primary programs it tends to be more like secondary in the way it's organized (laughs) you know different people for different subjects um whereas i think you know we tended to keep people more with the one tutor group for more things and that that sort of depth of relationship that depth of understanding has definitely benefited as a result of that
0: everyone who comes on the podcast sam uh, tackles our top five um which are five very uh five questions that will come at you and you can you've got like as quickly as you can you answer those top oh, five God. questions i know i know <laughs> I, I i perfectly did
1: now. It. everyone does
0: but uh, <laughs> i'm hoping after this half an hour chat you know me well enough sam that i wouldn't throw you under the bus there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing you wouldn't expect
1: um
0: so no, then. first one okay first uh, most important quality as a teacher
1: Ooh. well it might just because we've been talking about it but i think probably empathy that that ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes
0: absolutely right did you know i we've done i think we've just put our seventh podcast now and i think that's come up four times as the most important quality really? yeah empathy <laughs> but I, I completely agree uh, your favorite book
1: oh that's really hard i know Oh, I can't. Like,
0: oh. I mean, you can you, you can tell you you can give me a you know uh, it's it's early on a Tuesday, so I don't mind if you give me a few <laughs> you give me a few options and say well like, it could be this one, James, or it could be this. one. If you say the core content framework, I'm going to be really
1: disappointed. <laughs> no, too. I'm not that sad. <laughs> okay,
0: that's um, good.
1: Right, because we're talking about teacher training. A, 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 a favourite book to introduce uh, trainees to is a curious Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night. Oh, great! Uh, it's a great book in itself, but it's actually quite helpful for getting them just thinking about. Uh, well actually links to what i just said about empathy really you know understanding different perspectives and different ways of seeing the world so yeah i'll go with that
0: great book my mum made me read that when i uh, was on holiday a few years ago and it it is a brilliant book um most important quality as a mentor
1: i suppose i'm not allowed to use empathy again am i well (laughs) there's
0: no rules in the top five sam
1: I don't know if this counts as a quality um, but I'm going to draw on my research which has shown the importance of being able to sort of hold the bigger picture understanding of what you're trying to get the trainee to be able to eventually be able to do and then the micro moment understanding of what the next step, what the next practical step might be, a bit of a complicated answer to uh
0: i love love that answer though. that's (laughs) great and and that's where the provider has a really big part to play in terms of that big picture
1: that's where if you've got a
0: curriculum that's really clear and is fed through the entire program not just your fridays but actually every day in the week in school that can make such a big difference
1: exactly Exactly.
0: empowering your mentors with that knowledge is absolutely vital um your favorite food
1: oh god (laughs) (laughs) these are questions that just let your mind go blank (laughs) Uh, my comfort food is probably uh jackie potato with cheese
0: oh great great (laughs) answer um and then last one you're hosting a dinner party you can choose kind of i don't say six people um to host to come along to your party i'd like to know who would be the first person on your list throughout history from the beginning of time to now who would come to your dinner party who would be the first person on your list that would absolutely have to be there they'd be sat next to you not in any of the other seats they're the person you want to chat with for the night
1: oh god these are sort a question that you should have had a, an answer at your fingertips for isn't it <laughs> um i don't know if this is right or not but i'm going to say michelle obama yeah great um, that's if i longer to think about it I'd come up with something better
0: but we've also that's also the, the second person that's had Michelle Obama sat with them really yeah <laughs> Yeah, her her book, her book's also fascinating. I don't know if you've read her. It book. is,
1: yeah, I have. Yeah, I think that's why it's on my mind. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: An, a, another great book. Brilliant, Sam. Well done. Thank you. Nothing too painful, though. It sounded like it was quite painful, so I'm sorry. <laughs> it
1: was actually, yeah.
0: I didn't mean to put you through it. It's meant to be a light-hearted part of the podcast.
1: <laughs> and, uh, I think it was right. probably the most off. challenging part. <laughs> I'll forgive you eventually, don't I
0: worry. should have <laughs> gone harder on the CCF questions. I didn't yeah. do well enough. <laughs> um kind of b- before before we wrap up sam I, I just really it's a great opportunity to chat to you um and I, I just wondered what from your perspective there's been you know this is kind of looking less about mentoring and more about itt generally and and providers and um you know new offset framework new core content framework there's been a lot of change over the last few years for itt in my opinion all for the better but what what next do you think? And I know we've got COVID as this huge kind of cloud that just stops us from thinking anything further than next week. And I completely understand that. But, you know, a couple of years down the line, where do you see ITT being? Um, what, what, will things have significantly changed? What will be the things that we're doing really, really well in a couple of years time with an ITT, do you think?
1: I think I think there are some promising things that could have made some fundamental, some fundamentally positive um, steps forward. We've got the specialist NPQs coming out next year, of which there is one that's called teacher developer, yeah. and that is for uh you know sort of uber mentors people people who are keen mentors who want to you know devote a significant amount of their time to it i think it's going to be a great qualification it will it will give recognition to a lot of people who are already doing that kind of a role and help to support and develop them and i think that alongside things like the teaching school hubs which i know is a sort of challenging process to go through before we get to it. But, you know, hopefully two to three years time that will have settled down. And what we will have is we will have sort of centres of, of people coming together in partnership on, on quite a big scale. I hope yeah. that universities will be part of that picture as well as, uh, as, well as skids. Um, and I think um, what I hope it will do will be to forge this sort of really deep partnerships that we were talking about earlier on. Where for ITt at least you get that really proper genuine joining up of all the different elements of of the of the experience that trainees need to have um, because you 've got schools very centrally involved and very much in the driving seat, but working alongside you know the lead, lead skip partners, lead university partners, other players in the system, the people who are develop, who are delivering the early career framework the MPqs etc It feels like there 's lots of different moving parts which have all been designed to properly connect up with each other, um, to to make, to create a lot more coherence and a lot more sense of sort of support and development for teachers at every stage of the career, actually, not just at the beginning. Um, And that's, you know, I feel like compared to when we were out and about with the Carter Review back in 2014, where it felt like, although we saw a lot of pockets of excellence, um, the system as a whole was quite fractured Um, And I feel like, you know, in a couple of years time, that hopefully will have gone beyond that to something that's much more joined up. So, yeah, I'm quite positive and quite excited about the world beyond COVID for initial teacher training.
0: A great positive message to end our chat with and massive thanks to Sam for being such a great guest. If you're a mentor or teacher educator listening to this, The Thames has been created for you and is completely free to access. Head to www.nasbit.org.uk forward slash TEMZ to sign up and access all the resources available to you. That's it for this week, but we'll be back soon with another episode of The Thames Podcast.
1: Sam Tusseton, thank you so much for being on
0: the podcast. It was it was great to chat to you. I'm sorry about the top five.
1: <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Sam. And um, yes, have a great rest of the term, and and hopefully, some sort of enjoyable Christmas with with people you care about around you.
1: Likewise for you, and I hope you get some sleep.
0: <laughs> I hope you get a
1: <laughs> yeah. full night's sleep.
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sam. I look
1: forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. See you, James. Bye.